Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam Burns and joining me once again, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this weekend? Are you okay? Hello everyone. Yeah, um, just still sinking in. that I'm, I'm just running out of things to say about Lewis Hamilton, mate. You know, as we all know, he's now the all-time uh, holder of race wins and it's 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 time for us to um, to accept how phenomenal this guy is the the, the things that he is is achieved um you know even considering what he done today the gap over his own teammate um as a fan of his I'm lost for words and I can't wait to discuss um what was quite an interesting race today absolutely for those of you that don't know of course today finally the day Lewis Hamilton breaking the all-time race wins record, which was held by Michael Schumacher for an impressive 19 years. And by doing so, becomes the outright all-time most successful race win in Formula One with 92 career victories to his name. And he achieved that today at the Portuguese Grand Prix in Portimao, the Algarve region. And first things first, Courtney, what a chaotic start to the race. I and mean, we will talk a bit more about that in general, but it just unfolded so nicely. It was all crazy. We were concerned about the temperature, the weather. Everyone was caught out almost by it. But then as the race moved on and progressed, Lewis really got into his stride. He made that overtake on his teammate Valtteri Bottas when he was struggling to handle his tyres. And then after that, Lewis pretty much controlled the race as he has so often done, not just this season, but many seasons in this dominant period he's experienced with Mercedes for the last seven years or so, which has now culminated in his 70th victory for the team. And more importantly, that 92nd win in Formula One, eclipsing the record held by Michael Schumacher, as we mentioned already, since 2001. I mean, first things first, Courtney. Um, his father, Anthony Hamilton, was there today to obviously watch the moment and record it. Mm. Could you have imagined being Anthony Hamilton 25 years ago when he's teaching his son, Lewis, to kart? Around about the same time we were at the Portuguese Grand Prix last time in 96 after Jacques Villeneuve had won for Williams back then when Lewis was just a kid karting around places like Rye House and Butmore Park near Stevenage. Could Anthony Hamilton have imagined that his son, Lewis, 25 years later, would go on to become the most successful driver in terms of race wins in Formula One? It's the stuff of dreams, isn't it? You know, it really is a fairy tale. Um, I don't, I don't think anyone could have even have imagined this. Like even when um, Vettel was dominating, you know, we always knew that Lewis was talented, you know. And I've always, I've always thought of him as the best of this generation, no doubt. But no way did I expect him to equal what Michael Schumacher has achieved, and, and you know, without jinxing it, he's went on course and equaling his seventh world championship, and. Um, you know, I, I know we've pretty much 
been beating the uh, the loose loving drum for the past few weeks. And sorry if you don't like the guy. I'm sorry if you know you're not happy with him dominating. I can see why you'd be frustrated if you don't follow him. But you can't ignore, as a Formula One podcast, you can't ignore that we're witnessing history right now. And it's going to take some time for us to really accept what Lewis has achieved. Absolutely. And it's become real for so many people, including myself. I mean, this was something that I expected and accepted that would happen for a long time. A huge, hardcore Schumacher fan that I am growing up, enjoying his success in Formula One in the early 90s and 2000s, of course. It just seemed impossible for anyone to get anywhere near Schumacher's records in terms of race wins, let alone beat that. But we've realised that today. It's 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 an incredible feeling to see a record like that go. And almost in a way, the sort of sentiment around it, around a driver like Lewis Hamilton, who has always had the talent from an early age in his career in Formula One. You know, he joined in his early 20s in McLaren. He had that outstanding debut season, which almost resulted in him winning the Drivers' Championship in his first year at McLaren, getting that first win in the Canadian Grand Prix, 10th of June, 2007, that particular day when he did that. And then 13 and a half years later now, up to 92 victories in the Mercedes, six world championships on uh, in his uh, in his pocket, a seventh well on the way. He's pretty much on the verge of achieving that as well. I mean, we're talking staggering statistics about one of the greatest drivers of all time. In some cases, for some people, the greatest. I mean, just going through the statistics regarding Lewis Hamilton is absolutely incredible. I'll just read a few of you, three of, a few of them out just to show how immense this guy is in terms of his achievement in the sport. You know, since 2013, when he joined Mercedes, he's won 70 Grand Prix. That's 52% of the races he started for the team. Overall, his career, 92 victories, of course, 35% victory. So almost one, pretty much over one in three. 161 podiums, that's 60%. 97 pole positions, comfortably outright leader in that, 52 fastest laps, six world championships. It's, I mean, it boggles the mind for anyone who has enjoyed Formula One for as long as we have and really embraced and experienced the sport to the degree that hardcore fans have. This level of success is unparalleled. I mean, we were looking at Schumacher's numbers for a long time and thought, surely no one is going to get close to that. And the statistics would prove that. Nobody ever did get really close to Schumacher until Lewis Hamilton today not only got on par with Schumacher, but now he has passed him. And I suppose the question remains, Courtney, how many more races will Lewis Hamilton go on to win in his career? I mean, surely he's going to be going over 100 races by now. You'd say you'd look at, the rest of this season, he's looking pretty strong. And then into next season, there isn't really much of a regulation change. Um, so you expect him to be winning, you know, half a dozen at least next season. So the 100 is definitely within reach. Um, but something that bothers me a little bit when it comes to the opinion of Lewis Hamilton, and we know we please look back on last episode. It was great. We've done a great interview with um with, with Lee and we've discussed why he isn't so popular with some fans and also one of the things that comes up and to an extent I do understand they talk about oh you know he's in the best car now today I, I don't know I don't know if he's done it to prove a point I don't know
but we saw something a bit unusual with Lewis. What usually what Lewis does, he'll usually he's very good at time management. And what he usually do, usually build a lead, but usually between eight to twelve seconds max on a good on a good day over his teammate, just in case there's anything goes wrong, in case there's any um it takes him a while to overlap cars. He usually keeps around eight to ten seconds. Now, after the unusual start, and we saw Valtteri overtake Lewis, yet again, we saw Lewis stay patient, overtake Valtteri, but then we saw him build a lead, Adam, and we don't see this often in this year of Formula 1. He beat his own teammate by 25 seconds, and it's staggering. I said this to you, you know, we're talking this after the race, and I was staggered not only by what he has achieved throughout his career to be the all-time wins record, but what he'd done today. You know, after all these years in Formula One, he's getting on a little bit in Formula One terms and he's beat his own teammate by 25 seconds. And I think he made a real statement to his haters today. Yeah, you're right. It's an absolute huge deficit to his teammate, Valtteri Bottas, who, for all intents and purposes, seemed like this was going to be a weekend that would favour him. We were going to a brand new circuit, a track that we've only ever been to once in Formula One, and that was in 2009 when... Uh, there was Formula One testing of the current grid of drivers. There were only two drivers in that race that actually raced professionally at that circuit. Those being Alex Albon and Charles Leclerc. So, you know, the lack of experience on a circuit like this, the fact that the track had been relayed in terms of its surface a month ago, it was still very slippy. The conditions were quite cold. There was a lot of oil rising to the surface as it so often does when you relay a new track surface. It's always one of the difficulties with that. And all of those ingredients had a recipe for a successful weekend for Valtteri Bottas. And until qualifying free, when it really mattered most, it seemed like that was going to be the story of this weekend's Grand Prix, but it didn't. And Lewis Hamilton once again showing why he has won 92 Grand Prix, why he has won 70 Grand Prix in the last seven and a half seasons. I mean, those numbers are absolutely incredible. And to think that someone like Valtteri Bottas, who seemed like he had it all nailed on, did not only get beat by his teammate who managed his pace brilliantly, but as you said, by almost half a minute, that takes some doing, and that was definitely a huge mental blow, I suppose, that Lewis has landed to Valtteri Bottas, the first, well, the latest of many uh, during their time together as teammates at Mercedes. And once again, just hallmarking why Lewis Hamilton has achieved what he has achieved in the sport and why Lewis Hamilton, once again, is running away with the Drivers' Championship. It just seems that no matter what Valtteri can do, Lewis has always got that something extra that Valtteri just cannot tap into when the pressure is on. And uh, as we see today, it's one of those races where we all thought this could be a day for Valtteri or perhaps a day where Lewis may have it hard. And unfortunately, that, that wasn't the case. Lewis controlling the race once he got ahead of Valtteri, managed the tyres superbly well, despite the fact that Lewis, in his trademark way, so often complains about tyre issues and then he goes and pumps in a few fastest laps and even towards the end of the race Lewis said he had cramp in his right leg on the team radio and then he still put in a few fastest laps after that for good measure so absolutely incredible performance from Lewis Hamilton once again showing why as if he needed to prove to anyone else why he is the king in Formula One at the moment an incredible performance from him which now sees his lead increase to 77 points in the Drivers' Championship now of course we've got five races left to go so Lewis technically could, uh, could he win the championship? 
I think he can win the championship of the next race. If my maths is right, yes. So I believe if Lewis, don't quote me on this, guys. My maths might be a bit iffy on this, but with five races left to I go. I think it's Turkey. Yeah, with I think five, it's Turkey. Uh, but with five races left to go, I think at the uh, next race in Imola, if Lewis gets the win and Valtteri fails to uh, finish Valtteri in the loses. top yeah. nine without a fastest lap, that'll be yeah. enough for Lewis to win a seventh title. Right. So uh, it is possible, oh, I think. Crazy. As I say, don't quote me on this, guys. Crazy. I might be wrong, but I believe that's right. I'd have to check that. But um, this is quite fresh after the race that we do these podcasts, guys. So not a lot of time to prepare yeah. for it, but we do our best nonetheless. But yeah, and on top of that, Mercedes now literally on the brink. They could have won the championship today, the Constructors' Championship, but thanks to Max Verstappen getting that podium They've delayed that for another week, but we expect Mercedes to wrap up their seventh consecutive Constructors title, which will be an all-time record. No team has ever won seven Constructors championships on the spin. Of course, Ferrari during 99 and 2004 winning six consecutive Constructors championships. But of course, Mercedes look on the verge to break that record as well. So records tumbling left, right and centre with Hamilton and Mercedes, Courtney. I mean, what else yeah. is there for us to um, say? That, see, that's that, that's that's the thing. People must be listening. Going, here they go. They're banging on about Lewis again. And um, on on that subject, um, I felt the story of this race generally was that we've noticed a few of the names that we've sort of defended and praised in previous episodes have yet again excelled today, and some of the drivers that we've all we've cr not criticised as such have sort of highlighted the struggling are continuing to struggle um i just i just feel that today's race might have really um opened up uh, where the future leads some of these drivers i don't know about you adam but it was very telling today who's who's doing well and who's doing badly you're absolutely right and uh, it's important to talk about drivers futures in the sport a lot of politics and rumours that are going around regarding which drivers are going to be going where. As we said before, silly season seemed to start early at the start of the season with moves for Vettel, Ricardo, uh, Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, all happening all within the first couple of weeks before the season even started, technically. Yeah. And um, it, it's taken a while, but it looks like we're going to get the second half of silly season underway with the announcement of Haas dropping both Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, which we will talk a bit more in depth about in our transfer special episode that we've got coming on Wednesday this week. Now, so we're going to do a specific... Now, are, yeah. we going, are we going to be wearing our yellow tyres? Are we going to be having a Sky News <laughs> graphics going underneath? Are we going to be putting on our best Jim White accents because I'm willing to give it a go? I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I don't know the guy, but... I'm not the biggest Jim White fan, if I'm perfectly honest. You're more than welcome to give it a go. I haven't got a yellow tie on me. So uh, I'm going to refrain from that and just stick to my norm. But uh, also, guys, I should also mention that for those of you that were expecting a video podcast episode, we've had to delay that because uh, I've been working very hard on getting everything ready. It's just one last little thing that I've got to finish off that wasn't able to finish in time for today. So I do apologise about that. But we will have our first video podcast episode on Wednesday to cover that transfer special. So we're going to have all the latest rumours, all the latest gossip regarding all of the potential ins and outs for the grid. And as I said, Courtney, half the grid is still looking to for confirmation as to where yeah. their next uh, drive is going to be for next season so plenty to be talking about but of course we'll be discussing that on the dnf1 f1 podcast on wednesday so make sure to tune in for that episode as well 
And uh, yeah, as we were saying already, you know, so many winners and losers and so many drivers at the moment doing really, really well and some not so good in the race. But one thing I do, we should probably get on is talk a bit more about the race. We've been going on for about 15 minutes or so now and we haven't really talked about the race itself other than the obvious Lewis Hamilton winning. That's so about right. the story of the race after, um, you know, qualifying, it was, a, it was a very interesting session at Portimao. The characteristics of the track is so strange i remember we talked about this in an earlier episode would portimao produce some great racing and i said well it probably would but most of the overtakes are going to be in turn one in the drs section uh the track itself has similar hallmarks to what Magello produced and it, it's a, it proved to be a very difficult track and in colder temperatures it proved to be a real challenge on the tires as well and i mean the first things first what an incredible first lap of racing that was corny absolute mm. crazy stuff off the line and to tell you guys who didn't see how crazy it was, I definitely recommend you check it out again because it had everybody on the edge of their seats thinking, what is going on? Are we having rain? Are the tyres cold? Everyone's just throwing themselves all over the place. After lap one, this was the order of the race. So we had Carlos Sainz in the McLaren move six places up the order to lead. Valtteri Bottas was second, so he hadn't changed. Hamilton had gone down to third. Norris was fourth up four places. Verstappen was fifth, down two. Kimi Raikkonen qualified 16th, up into sixth place. An incredible first lap for Kimi. Still got it, Kimi, the most experienced driver in Formula One now, showing his veteran prowess and knowledge to move up 10 positions off the start. I definitely recommend you guys to check that first lap out. There's a video of it circulating social media at the moment. Definitely check that out. It's one of the best starts opening laps I'd seen since the uh, famous Senna opening lap at Donington Park back in, uh, I think it was 93 in the McLaren. Si uh, very yeah, similar yeah. to that. Very impressive from Kimi. And, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, great stuff from him. Daniel Ricciardo was seventh after the first lap. Charles Leclerc, who ended up coming fourth, went down to eighth. So he had a nightmare opening lap. Pierre Gasly stayed ninth and Lance Stroll was tenth. I mean, that top ten after lap one is completely unexpected and totally unorthodox. And it just showed the challenges that we faced at a race like Portimao, where the circuit characteristics made it very difficult for people to get on top of. And it's something that carried through the whole race. And even as the race settled down, obviously the Mercedes got back to their normal pace. They managed to overtake the McLarens. Verstappen moved his way up into third. Leclerc moved up into fourth. And those four in particular really broke off that lead group, obviously in different uh, segments. But those four really were the class of the field today in terms of pace and performance when all things considered. So, I mean, first thing, so we talked about Mercedes already, another impressive display from them. You know, Valtteri Bottas really struggled on the tyres compared to his teammate as the race unfolded. What did you think of Max Verstappen's race, Courtney? Because Max Verstappen had a very controversial weekend, which obviously ended in him getting another podium this season for Red Bull, really flying the flag for the Red Bull team once again. But a very strange weekend for Max Verstappen. Um, what, what did you think of his weekend? Yeah, I mean, if we look at, you know, with the incident on Friday where he um, had a crash with Lance Stroll, who himself has had a very scruffy weekend, um, his use of language, shall we say, caused controversy because we're living in a world today, we're living in a world where you can find yourself getting cancelled very easily. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not the easiest person to offend in the world 
But I'm surprised that Max didn't get in more trouble for that incident because some of the words, and I know in their culture, with, with Dutch culture, they do swear a lot more. And I think maybe that was taken into account. But the use of language that was used when he crashed with Lance, I can imagine a lot of people could have got offended by that. So there was already controversy surrounding Max. And then in the race itself, he had a tangle with the other racing point, is Sergio Perez. And if that incident hadn't have happened in the first race, he'd have found himself getting a penalty. And I don't know, with with Max, you know, we pray we praise him so much on here, rightly so. I've I've i predicted I feel he's gonna Charles Leclerc aside, I can see him dominate the sport once Lewis retires. But I'm just starting to sense with Max that he's starting to get frustrated that he hasn't had a real shot at a world championship. You know, we've, we've seen a couple of incidents in the past where he, um, he was leading and he clashed with um, with Ocon when he was trying to lap him a couple of seasons ago. I'm just sensing there's a frustration. He's not happy to be the best of the rest because, you know, these guys, they want to win. They don't want to be second. They don't want to be third. Even if you can pull it into context, yeah, I've got a second best car. I'm the best of the rest. No, no, he wants to be winning. And, you know, he's, he's already missed out on being the youngest world champion, which was the main aim for him. And he's looking into next season or even beyond. The Mercedes could still be ahead. And I just sense that with Max, he's getting frustrated and he's starting to show like on the on the radio, he's, at least, he, he's easily um, annoyed. He gets frustrated about drivers being in the way compared to other people. And... It doesn't matter how much talent you have. You need you need to be careful with your head because Formula One is very psychological. And if Max is going to find himself in a championship battle in the next year or so, he does need to look at that if he wants to be beating the likes of Lewis. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And um, I mean, for me personally, I've never really been too bothered about the language that some drivers have used uh, in terms of expressing their discontent over certain incidents. But and Max is definitely no stranger to this sort of thing uh, during free practice oh, in particular yeah. and uh, it, it's quite strange how he so gets so angry and avid in free mm. practice it's practice like it doesn't matter and this was such a confusing incident I won't go into too much details but when I watched it back I felt straight away that and I agreed with Johnny Herbert on this actually because he came out and said that he thought it was Max's fault in that incident with Stroll in that Stroll was going for another lap and when you're driving and you're going on another lap and you're trying to set the fastest time possible and you're not in a race, you're not really going to be looking in your mirrors to see if someone's alongside you trying to overtake you, especially when you're going full speed down the straight, you've got DRS open and everything else. You're not going to be looking at the uh, in the mirrors to see who's behind you, as Lance Stroll said. So he's gone into that corner. Max has stuck his nose in and Max was saying, oh, well, I was alongside you. And I said, well, you only really were properly alongside him when you broke later than him into the corner. And the way that that corner turns at an angle at turn one, there's not enough room for both cars to go through the way they were going. It was always going to be an incident unless one of them gave way. And quite frankly, Max should have given way in that incident. But of course, the stewards deemed that that was a 50-50 incident and that both drivers could have avoided that. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I think because it was free practice and uh, not much damage had really been done in, in retrospect, I think they just let that one go. If that was in qualifying or in the race, they would have had a different view. But as you mentioned, the language that Max used going on that incident, I thought it was a bit on the line. And um, I, I accept that underneath the crash helmet, you know, having raced myself sometimes, 
you get very frustrated under there and you know you might say things not necessarily hurtful things but you'll say a few swear words or this and that you know to just you know get rid of your anger and then you just get your head down and go on max in particular yeah, Max in particular is one of those drivers that tends to push the bounds on that and do it a lot more than others. Now, I'm not sure if that's from his culture or from his, you know, where he's from or anything else. I'm not going to bring that into the discussion. But we've so often noted Max as a brilliantly talented driver, arguably the best of his generation, and perhaps the guy, as you mentioned, to take the crown from Lewis Hamilton, either if he has a car capable of beating Lewis or if he has to wait for Lewis to move on and pass the torch on to him, whichever comes first. But equally with that, Max does have a bit of an issue with his temper behind the wheel and does tend to make rash decisions when he's angry. And even though this has happened less and less and less in uh, this season in particular, there's still, uh, yeah, on Friday, it showed that this thing can still happen. And that's something that he does need to eradicate completely from his drive. And as hard as that sounds, and maybe it's a bit unfair, but you can't act in that way, especially in an age where social media will literally yeah. record your every action and, and sound that you make. The team radio is broadcasted all around the world. I mean, could you imagine if team radio was available in the early 2000s and the oh. 90s? And the 80s, some of the language, or even in the 70s with James Hunt and Licky Loud, can you imagine the stuff we'd have heard oh, on the wow. team radio <laughs> then? It wouldn't have been, yeah, it would have, is, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been James no, Hunt saying to Nicky Lauder, saying, Oh, that Nicky was a rather naughty boy there. I, I, that yeah. Austrian fellow oh, no, does need to be taken down a peg or two. It wouldn't be nothing like that. It'd be a few, uh, a few heinous words and a few words that some of our younger listeners would not like me to repeat, which I won't do. Obviously, <laughs> but yeah, because uh, yeah. the, the, the problem is, I just don't want to be seeing, and no one else, as as fans of Formula One, I don't want to be seeing somebody as supremely talented as Max Verstappen become a victim to cancel culture. Hmm. I don't want to see it. I understand that people need to be held. I'm not going to go too deep into modern day politics. And that's that's the thing. We, we I want to be watching Formula One. I don't want to be watching in, you know, Max Verstappen's involved in controversy over something he said on the radio. I don't know. It's, it's just something that needs to be looked into. I don't know. I, I love the team radios. You know, I'm a big advocate for the team radios. And I think it's one of the biggest selling points of Formula One to the day, particularly with the younger drivers, you know, the connection they have with the fans and then, you know, the emotion, the raw emotion. It's, it's a brilliant feature. But I just feel that maybe maybe there should be a bit of a lag with the radio communication and what is put out there and bleeps anything that's considered offensive, it needs to be censored because when when your adrenaline is, is, is rushing, if you're driving a car around a circuit at 200 miles per hour, I don't think you should be getting held to account over every little thing that you say. And I just feel there needs to be a little bit of censorship over what's broadcast because you don't want to be seeing somebody as supremely talented as Max Verstappen getting involved in cancel culture because I'm I'm tuning in to watch a Formula One driver not because of what he says. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think, you know, some of the other former drivers that were on commentary at Sky F1, uh, Anthony Davidson and Paul DeRessa, they were talking about how hot under the collar it can be when you're driving like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And in other sports as well, you know, if you mic'd up Premier League footballers or Premier League referees and you heard some of the language that was being said there, of course, you know, there are 
repercussions uh, for poor language via dissent or etc. But you know, you wouldn't be holding Formula One drivers to that same level as footballers if you mic'd up all the footballers and heard everything they were saying. You just wouldn't be able to broadcast it. And, um, you know, so it's kind of that sort of thing you have to kind of take for what it is and just understand that whilst I accept some level of censorship is required to perhaps prevent certain broadcasts coming out like that. But, um, I mean, for all jokes aside, it does make some interesting television. I will say that much. That uh, we always like to see a bit in some regards, but it has to be managed right away. But otherwise, another solid drive from Max. You know, he recovered really well. Clearly, as we kind of expected, didn't really have the pace to beat Mercedes today, specifically Lewis Hamilton. But he recovered well and it was a solid third place finish. He made those medium tyres work for him very, very well in the second stint. And despite the the threat of Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari, it never really materialised from them in in the end. So another impressive performance from Max Verstappen I suppose the question with Max and um, I mean mean, we could mention the Perez incident in particular but although I thought the stewards made the right call that one I think Max didn't do anything wrong in that incident Perez just come on the outside and uh, it was just one of those one incidents really Max didn't do anything wrong he did you know so that, that aside but Max's future at Red Bull this has always been a concern for a while now over whether Red Bull can provide him with a car capable of winning a world championship. And for years now, they've said the same things that we, you know, we're very happy of our progress. It looks very promising for us. This could be a car that could be a challenger for the title. They're saying all the right things and they are producing a very good car. But time and time again, they've always been third best in most cases behind the Ferraris and the Mercedes. But this year, just Mercedes in this case, how much longer can Max Verstappen, in your mind, Courtney, settle for just getting the absolute most out of the Red Bull, still finding himself 15 or so seconds behind Bottas and then whatever behind Hamilton on top of that before he starts to think, right, I need to try and get myself in the Mercedes. And, and I'll tell you why I'm asking this question, because in the press conference uh, after Saturday, Max and Lewis were having a little exchange of words about, um, you know, it'd be quite fun for, and I'm paraphrasing here, so don't quote me on this, but Max said something along the lines of, it would be fun to have uh, Lewis drive my car and I'll drive Lewis and we can compare notes about who's the best in terms of who can get the most out of the other car. And it's a sort of conversation that if you were Red Bull or Christian Horan or Dr. Helmut Marko, even though it's all in jest, those aren't the sort of conversations you want Max to be having talking about the idea of, oh, it'd be fun to drive in someone else's car, similar to how Fernando Alonso famously once said when he was in Ferrari, um, what would be an ideal birthday present? And he said, a Red Bull. So, I mean, are Red Bull concerned that perhaps they haven't got what it takes to provide Max with that machinery and then eventually may lose their prized asset? What, What are your thoughts on this situation? They must be. I mean, I don't think I've seen... Red Bull in such an unstable state since they started dominating Formula One because they've got they've got this star, you know, we've 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 already said how great Max is, who they'll be very, very keen to hang on to for obvious reasons. But they can't catch up to Mercedes anytime soon. So they'll be worrying about him. They've got a junior they've got a junior driver program which seems to be falling apart. Partly again, thanks to how good Max is, and also let's not forget they've got this whole um, 
it's our issue with Honda leaving Formula One. So they've got they've got to think about that. And I I just feel that a lot of a lot of futures are going to be decided after 2022. If Red Bull aren't anywhere near, if they're not challenging for that championship in 2022, I can see Max looking to leave. And the only place that I can see is Mercedes. And my prediction at this point, God, we all know how the world works. The prediction at this point would be, I feel that Lewis could retire after 2022 particularly if things don't go too well for them. And then I can see Max replacing him. I don't know about you, Adam, but I reckon Lewis will stay until 2022 and then Max will then carry the torch. And how ominous would that be for every other driver to have Max Verstappen in the Mercedes? That would be almost unbeatable. I think it's something that we've wanted to see for some time, although with Mm. the caveat of having to go up against Lewis Hamilton, that I think is what we all want to see, those two in particular. Probably not something we'll ever see, which is a shame. But uh, it, it was kind of like the similar thing where we had Alonso, the young rising star against Schumacher. But back then, Formula One, at least at the top end of it, was a lot more competitive than it is now, And uh, you know, by comparison. But it's a definite worry for Red Bull. I think personally, Red Bull should be very concerned that whilst they've got issues over picking their number two driver for next season there are the issues starting to mount over whether or not they can provide their number one with what he needs. And if they can't, Mercedes may, and probably in my opinion should, manufacture a way to facilitate that happening for Max. So we'll have to watch the space on this one. Just a quick note before we go on the break. It's been a lengthy first half to this episode. But uh, a word on Alex Albon. Another difficult race, I think it's fair to say for him. Um, you know, he's had a few of these this season where the start really bogs him down and it was no different today. Sixth in qualifying, not a bad performance considering how tightly bunched the top guys were. I mean, he was only a few temps slower than Max Verstappen, so probably around the barometer Red Bull were expecting from him. But he ended up finishing outside the points in 12, uh, two-stop. He was uh, the second best of the two-stoppers in that race. And... A very strange race for Alex Albon. For whatever reason, he just couldn't get on top of things. But, you know, in the second half of the race, he was fairly quick. He was in a good position, lapping almost as quickly as his teammate. Are we starting to hear signals or starting to get the impression now that perhaps we're not going to be seeing Alex Albon in a Red Bull next season? I mean, we'll talk about this a bit more in Wednesday's episode. But some of the noises I'm hearing from Red Bull now are suggesting to me that whilst they like having Alex in the Red Bull programme, they just feel that perhaps he is not quite capable already yet to get the most out of this car. And perhaps a potential demotion to Alpha Tauri next season is the best solution. Yeah, I mean, the most poignant moment in that race for me was seeing Alex get overlapped by his own teammate. No, regardless of how good your teammate is, unless you have an accident or, you know, you have a big penalty, you should not be getting lapped by your own teammate. You know, we're talking about how much Lewis Hamilton beat um, Bottas by, but he got lapped by his own teammate in the same machinery. It's simply awful and it it shouldn't be happening. And Albon just seems to be the exact same guy that Gasly was before he went to Toro Rosso. And I think... I think for the for the sake of his own, um, shall we say, mental health in the sporting sense, I think he needs to do what Gasly done 
and start again because Gasly, prime example, Gasly, yet again, another dazzling performance by him. He looks like a a whole new driver. Um, Christian Horner, Horner did say, though, that it does seem that the Toro Rosso is an easier car to drive. The the Red Bull obviously performs better, but it's almost on rails. Is that sweet spot that Max seems to hit more than more than anyone that he's teammates with. But uh, I think I think it's time for Albon to uh, yeah go to Toro Rosso because you want to. We know we know these guys are and you want to be seeing these guys challenging. But if they're not in the right frame of mind then they need to take a break from it. And I want to see someone at least half challenge Max, because I think it'd be good for him. It'd be good for Red Bull. So let's hope that Red Bull, they've got some massive decisions to make because it could define their future in this. Yeah, absolutely. And um, no, I agree with that. I mean, the only thing I would say to Christian Horner in response to that is that, well, if the car is harder to drive, why not make it easier to drive? Focus on drivability a bit more Mm. because, you know, you've got two guys in this car, and uh, I mean, we know that they do invest a lot of their resources into Max, but you know, there's a reason why Formula One has two cars in every team. So that's something they need to look at as well. But I absolutely agree with that. Uh, very difficult race for Alex in the end. But um, I think we'll wrap that up here for part one. It's been a very long part one. So thank you for bearing with us on this one. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then part two, we're going to review some of the races for some of the other teams like Ferrari, Alfa Tauri, Renault, McLaren and Racing Point and some of the others as well. So until then, we will see you for part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly, and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So as we were talking about before, we were just discussing the day for Mercedes and Red Bull. So moving swiftly along, because that part one was quite a bit long, so we'll try and cut through some of these as quickly as we can. But one team in particular, Courtney, I think it's fair to say, had a surprisingly good day. Probably one of the best days this season is Ferrari. And uh, Charles Leclerc getting a very impressive fourth position in the race and of course qualifying fourth as well so being able to consolidate that impressive qualifying performance into a very very good race result for Ferrari I don't know how you felt about it but um given the troubles that they've had throughout this season would you say that this is arguably the best weekend Ferrari have had this season yeah um, particularly for um, Charles Leclerc um I'll be honest the his weekend really gave me encouragement that there will be somebody around to challenge Max when Lewis is no longer around because you need that. You need competition. You've seen the complaints 
that no one's around to challenge Lewis. So I, it gives me some optimism that Charles will be around to challenge Max because he really has excelled this season. You know, in life, you're usually judged for how you react to the tough times. And uh, Charles has definitely stepped up to the plate this season. Absolutely. And I will say that, you know, despite the difficulties that Ferrari have had this season, Charles' performances of late have really been the shining spark of this season for Ferrari. He's really coming alive in terms of his performances and he's a lot more consistent than he has been. And he's always seems to be able to change the way that he drives if he needs to, not overdrive the car and really get the most out of a very, very difficult car. It must be said, arguably one of the worst Ferraris we've seen in 30 years or so. And again, the, the qualifying performances of Charles, we said a, a few, uh, I mean, the last few years of Charles's career, even in junior category, he always seemed to struggle to extract that absolute ultimate pace in qualifying and put it all together when it really mattered. And he seems to be doing that on a regular basis now. And I think when qualifying had finished and Charles had got fourth place on the grid, I thought, okay, that's a really good result. Very happy with that. But it almost dawned on me, as it often does this season, that it was expected that Charles would probably fall down the order as the race went on. The Ferrari, for whatever reason, in race pace, just cannot seem to keep that level of performance up as it does in qualifying. But today, it was a complete contrast. Charles Leclerc obviously had a difficult start. It got bogged down in the wrong area in turn one. It really compromised him in terms of where he was. But he got his head down. He recovered. The Ferrari looked pretty good. He looked pretty stable in his hands as stable as it could be around a circuit like that. And he made some good overtakes. And then after he'd got clear of the McLarens into fourth position, he was pretty much in his own race. I mean, looking at the way the race unfolded, there was a potential chance he might have been able to challenge Max for third, but Ferrari opted to put him on the harder tyres instead of the soft. Do you think that was the right call, Courtney? Because um, in my mind, I thought originally that was a pretty conservative call from Ferrari but given how the softer runners or the runners that went on to soft tyres like Perez for example uh, and a few others later on in the race they really struggled so perhaps was that the right call from Ferrari do you think that they were being too conservative or do you think that perhaps they felt that Leclerc it wasn't quick enough to catch Max in the end it was certainly right for them to take the conservative approach given the struggles that they've had they needed a solid weekend they've yet to have that they've had some good Saturdays and really struggled on the uh, on the Sunday so they needed a solid result and Ferrari have also struggled with strategy they've made some shocking strategy calls so they needed a weekend where they could just you know decent qualifying decent result decent choices being made in terms of strategy and they've achieved all those things and that, that could be the starting point for them to slowly but surely come back so I do think, yeah, it was the right decision for Ferrari to take. And I think it's important to give Ferrari credit where credit's due. Um, you know, a double point scoring finish today with Sebastian Vettel finishing 10th. You know, Vettel had a terrible qualifying, but did manage to recover a bit and get into 10th place in the end. So, um, you know, Sebastian Vettel had never finished in 10th before this season and now he's finished in it four or five times now. So getting kind of used to that position. But... All things considered, Ferrari do look like they're making small steps of improvements going forward up the order. 
and today in Charles Leclerc's hand, they look absolutely best of the rest. I think the objective for Ferrari now is to continue on this upward trajectory that they're making, small steps to improve, to the point where they feel that if they keep this up, they could end up being best of the rest for outright performance by the end of the season, which I think would be a very successful achievement for them given where this season has transpired for them i mean simon de Resta in the week was talking about the development route for next season they're going to be focusing primarily on the rear of the cars they're quite limited with the tokens available for aero development and the engine is going to be better too so you know i, I talked often a lot about car development um at, during pre-season and i mentioned that it is important to have a good rear of the car because the rear doesn't just improve rear performance but it also translates to improvements at the front and having a draggy car like ferrari do they really need to redesign that rear end of that sf1000 if they're going to be more competitive next season as well as having a better engine so lots to be positive in the scuderia ferrari camp it's not you know brilliant for them in terms of their history and what their achievements are and what their objectives are to be happy with a fourth place finish and a tenth but under the circumstance of this season i think a very good day for Ferrari. They seem to yeah, get great. everything right. And uh, Charles Leclerc is proving once again, as we've often said this season, to be a real, real talent. And perhaps this experience this season will hone his abilities and his craft and allow him to be uh, the elite level driver that we expect him to be once Ferrari give him that car that's capable of challenging for a world championship, hopefully in the not too distant future. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Next season, next season will be the the way to like. Will they will continue to go for next season? But it's all about twenty twenty two, Adam. It's all about twenty twenty two. Yeah, we should stress that John Elkin and Louis Camilleri specifically said that twenty twenty two seems to be the most realistic date for the earliest realistic day, I suppose, that Ferrari will be returning to the front of the grid. Or so fingers crossed that they are in that hunt because it's certainly not the same without Ferrari this season. So it's really good to see them having a good day today so i mean we won't talk about sebastian vettel much we've already really said everything we need to say on vettel it almost seems like the way he's driving at the moment that this is a man who just can't wait to be out of there as much as it pains him that this is happening the way things are going he's probably looking forward to having a nice break and then starting his new adventure with aston martin well vettel's not really the beach kind of guy is he he's more into uh getting in his Lovely cottage in, uh, I think I'm going to say Austria, it might be Switzerland, one of the two, and uh, going in the garage and fixing up those old motorbikes that he so often does. You might see him do some virtual racing. He did have a stint with the race on uh, an old sim rig and uh, had a pretty decent performance. I remember everyone was talking about it when Sebastian signed up, you know, for, of a four-time world champion signing up to do sim racing on an online race during lockdown. It was uh, quite fun to see. I don't think Vettel is going to be doing much of that. Probably be more of the norm before he starts his journey with Aston Martin, which I hope will allow us to see the more, uh, the, the more common version of Sebastian Vettel that we're so used to seeing. So fingers crossed that that works out for him. Moving on to uh, Pierre Gasly. You mentioned him in part one, Courtney. Had an absolutely incredible race once again. Ninth in qualifying under the circumstances of how quick he was in practice, might have been a bit of a disappointment that he was only night fastest. It seemed that everyone else managed to improve their speed a bit while Pierre was on it straight away and uh, only got ninth. But an incredible race from him, finishing fifth, definitely, definitely showing, like Charles Leclerc, more of his ability every single race. And Pierre's in a very strange position 
in terms of his future. He's currently in a Red Bull program, which clearly doesn't really want him there in terms of, uh, you know, the, the future, thinking of the future in terms of a Red Bull seat after the stint he had last year, which proves to be very difficult for him on a mental note rather and a career wise as well. Other, all those things aside, and we will go more into that in Wednesday's episode, we are really starting to see the potential that Pierre Gasly has shown from his junior days and things that people have seen about it and the mental strength as well, the mental toughness he has, especially after winning that first race. It's got to be said that Pierre Gasly proven to be one of the absolute stars this season and I'm really happy for him that he's starting to show his true ability and it's putting a lot of people on notice considering how he was last year I don't think anyone would have expected this level of turnaround but it's great to see that he's producing these results on a regular basis and once again another strong performance in AlphaTauri yeah you could I couldn't put it any better myself Adam um he's and he's and he's been consistent as well you know even even with the win you know the win is the thing that makes the the headlines, you know, it's great and everything, but I've just always just been very consistent and he's definitely got the very best out of that car. And I don't know, for, for Pierre, would he really want to go back to Red Bull considering he's gone back, you know, considering he's in a good mind frame? I mean, I, I, I feel there'll be quite a few teams after him going forward after what he's um, achieved this season. Well, to tell you the truth, there are. But as I said before, we will talk more about that on Wednesday. So if you want to know who, guys, if you're listening in, make sure that you tune into the episode on Wednesday and you can watch that on the YouTube channel. That'll be our first video podcast. You get to see our faces as well for those of you that haven't already or followed us on social media and some of the other work that we've been putting in for that. It's going to be really fun and I'm looking forward for you to seeing everything that we've got for you as well. But um, I mean, moving on to Danny Kvyat, by contrast, having a very difficult day, 19th overall, didn't have the best of starts, got bogged down, it must be said, and he had a few time penalties for exceeding track limits. I mean, on a note on exceeding track limits, this was something that we saw a lot in Portimao, proved to be a lot more of a focal point than uh, it normally would be. I mean, in practice alone, the two practice sessions on Friday, there was 124 track limit violations. And uh, a quarter of those were from Albon and Lance Stroll alone. And uh, it, it won't surprise oh, you to hear that Stroll got a penalty for that as well during the race. And uh, Danny Kvyat was another one, but a very difficult day for Danny and um, another driver whose career is in the balance at AlphaTauri. But of course, we'll talk more about that on Wednesday. So uh, a bittersweet day for AlphaTauri, but another good performance from Pierre Gasly. So we'll move to McLaren. Uh, again, contrasting day for both of the drivers. Carlos Sainz. What a start from Carlos Sainz. He, as I said earlier, he led Brilliant. the race after lap one, managing to overtake both the Mercedes, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. Brilliant start from him. I mean, me personally, it was nice to see Carlos Sainz doing well, showing some of the qualities that Ferrari fans, including myself, will have to look forward to for him next season. And, and he's really upped his game, Carlos Sainz. Of course, the way the race unfolded, it was very difficult for him to keep that level of pace up. McLaren have tended to fall down the order a little bit compared to the others it's probably fair to say on outright performance they've now fallen behind Ferrari in the pecking order uh, behind them Renault and Racing Point in that battle but they're still in the mix in terms of um, you know the Constructors Championship for third place they finished ahead of all of their rivals with the exception of Ferrari technically speaking so um, you know a, a 
a reasonably decent day for Carlos Sainz getting that sixth place overall. And Lando Norris, unfortunately, was having a good race, but until we had that incident with Lance Stroll, which um, I think, Courtney, we don't even have to go into that too much. It was completely Lance's nope. fault, 100%. <laughs> Not a similar incident to the Max Verstappen one, but that was definitely Lance's fault and should have allowed Lando the room on the inside of turn one, which, as we said, proved uh, to to not work out and uh, ruined Lando's race completely. So we ended up finishing 13th overall. Um, moving to Renault now. Strange day for Renault because after the highs that they experienced at the Eiffel Grand Prix last week where Daniel Ricciardo got his first podium for the team and their first podium in uh, nine years since the Malaysian Grand Prix in 2011 when Nick Heifeld finished on the podium in that race. Back down to earth and a bit of reality on a track where we kind of expected Renault to not be as strong as they have been in other recent weeks. It must be said it's definitely a much a mechanical grip kind of circuit and it's a track where we felt Renault might not be as good as they had been. But they've got a double points finish. Esteban Ocon 8th, Daniel Ricciardo, or sorry, yeah, 8th, Daniel Ricciardo 9th. Bit of a strange race for Esteban Ocon because he started off... Uh, getting caught out and having to make an early stop, then went on to the medium tyres for an incredibly long stint. I can't remember how many laps it was. I think it was like 40-odd laps. And then ended up going on the soft tyres at the end. And interestingly enough, managed to finish ahead of his teammate, who had a pretty tidy race. But I don't think Daniel Ricciardo would have been very happy about seeing his teammate beat him today. But all intents and purposes, another man whose career is in the balance, Esteban Ocon, after a Somewhat difficult first season back in Formula One with Renault, but a very good day for him. It worked out very well for him, and I'm sure that would be a nice confidence boost. A very nice, yeah, exactly. A very nice confidence boost beating his teammate today. I mean, what did you think of Renault's day, Courtney? Would you say they're happy with that, or would you say that perhaps their expectations may have gone a bit too high, and perhaps this has sort of leveled it out for them? Yeah, it was a, it was a mixed bag. I was very impressed by, um, particularly um, the first stint by Ocon. Very impressed by that. Really good type of um, preservation. Um, but yeah, for for uh, for Danny Rick, maybe it's a bit of a hangover after last time out. He um, probably tried to try to keep it solid, but he just found himself kind of uh, you know even even Saturday was a little bit scruffy for his standards. And uh, I look happens to the best of drivers. I'm sure we'll be uh, back at it again come Imola. Yeah, you're right, uh, and they just didn't really seem to have the pace uh, compared mm. to as I said one of the McLarens of course you know both of them technically were faster Charles Leclerc the Ferrari and of course Gasly and Sergio Perez speaking of which Sergio Perez very very strange day for him Sergio Perez was very quick in qualifying you know did a good job qualifying fifth behind Charles Leclerc Verstappen and the two Mercedes you know did a good job there very unfortunate with the start, got tagged with Max Verstappen in an incident that we felt that it, it seemed like a first lap incident. I can't really attribute blame to Max Verstappen. He didn't really do anything wrong. And Carlos, uh, not Carlos Sainz, um, Sergio Perez, they just caught each other at the one point when Sergio was trying to go around the outside of Max into turn number three or turn four, I should say. Um I mean, what would you make of Sergio Perez's day, Courtney? Because he recovered very, very well, had that hit stop early on for the back, and he ended up finishing in seventh place, although it could have been fifth, but put on the softer tyres towards the end of the race, which seemed like it was a clever move, although he wasn't going to catch Leclerc. 
but uh, he ended up falling down to seventh because those soft tyres just couldn't get them to work. So what would you make of Perez's day under the circumstances? Would he be happy with seventh or do you feel that he'd be a bit disappointed that he lost those places towards the end of the race? I think generally speaking, he must be very happy. Um, you know, it must always be disappointing to lose two places very quickly at the end like that. But he will. When he, when he, when he looks back and he, you know, on the race as a whole, you know, particularly how it started for him, it could have been a whole lot worse. He could have been out. So he'd be very happy with the points that he takes time with him. And um, yet again, another another driver has made their statement today as to why they should be staying in the spot. Absolutely right. And of course, a driver linked with quite a few teams. The stronger rumours of late coming from the Williams camp in terms of linking him with a move there, potentially replacing George Russell. We'll discuss that a bit more on Wednesday. But for Sergio Perez, I also got drive for the day as well. So congratulations to him on that part. I'm not sure I agree, considering how the race sort of ended for him. But um, I mean, for me, I thought Gasly probably one of the drivers of the day today, or maybe Charles Leclerc. But um, it, it's such a strange one with Sergio Perez. He has days like today where he was challenging Verstappen early on, got bogged down, ended up at the back of the field after the first lap, but recovered really, really well, showed great pace in the racing point. Uh, like he did in qualifying to get into a position where if he didn't have that incident, he could have been challenging the likes of Leclerc and Verstappen potentially for a podium today, mm-hmm. but it didn't really culminate for him. These are the sorts of drives that Sergio Perez needs to keep putting in um, whilst we're aware of his reputation and the financial backing that he has. I mean, it's there's so many different options open to him. I, I could probably think of at least two or three teams that would seriously consider taking him on. But... Um, I mean, I suppose at this point, given the options that Perez has, that maybe it's a lot more likely now we're expecting to see him on the grid for next season, Corny. I don't know how you feel about that. Do you think Perez will be definitely on the grid next season? I'd, let's just put it this way. I'd be both surprised and disappointed if he isn't racing in Formula 1 next year, mate. Mm. Yeah, same here. Same here, indeed. A very big talent and uh, not had the best of luck. Uh, in terms of driver moves where he's gone, but certainly showing his quality when he has had to in a very consistent, reliable performer, Sergio Perez. So we'll have to wait and see what happens on that one. Again, we'll be discussing his uh, situation on Wednesday, as if I couldn't plug that episode enough for you guys. <laughs> but it's going to be a good one, I promise. Um, moving to uh, oh, moving to Lance Stroll, difficult day for him. Um, as I said, not the greatest of starts. He just seemed to be... He seems to be lacking pace all weekend to his teammate Lance Stroll. I don't know if it's the uh, after effects or a hangover from what proved to be COVID-19, what he was eventually diagnosed with after the Eiffel Grand Prix. So, um, you know, a lot of controversy over the timing of the testing and the diagnosis. But um, he seemed to be struggling for pace with that. Can't really say too much on Lance Stroll's race, to be honest, other than that incident with Lando Norris and the incident with Max Verstappen in practice. Um not really too much to talk about with Lance. Yeah, as I said, no, he was retired. Yeah, he was retired earlier on in the race, and um, the team put it down to damage to the floor. Otmar Safner was saying it was damage to the floor and that it wasn't safe for him to go out. Sounds like one of those old excuses that they put when they want to retire the car to try and protect the engine compartment and also the uh, com- components and also the gearbox as well. So, um, yeah, disappointing day for Lance Stroll, but uh, obviously they'll be back together next time. Overall, I think your season's been pretty good, actually, so he's probably due a bad one every now and then. Moving on to the... Uh, see which teams I haven't covered yet. Let's do Alfa Romeo. 
very, very good day for Alfa Romeo, despite the fact that they um, didn't get any points, unfortunately, where Kimi Raikkonen was overtaken by Sebastian Vettel towards the end. Uh, first things first, we've got to talk about the opening lap from Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, I said it enough already, but it just shows a wise old head with all the skills in the world that Kimi Raikkonen has with the rally background. I mean, all Finnish drivers seem to have an innate talent of being able to drive under almost any circumstance that they can find themselves in. And Kimi Raikkonen proving once again that the wily old fox still has plenty of tricks up his sleeve for some of these younger drivers in the field. And uh, it was a relatively decent day for Giovinazzi. I suppose, Courtney, one of the biggest hallmarks of this Alfa Romeo is that it's much more competitive in the race, Trim, than it is in qualifying. It's a completely different car in the race. Yeah, I mean, with, with Alfa Romeo, it's difficult for them to compete even for points given the resources that they have. But uh, when you have a name like Kimi Raikkonen, you can always expect him to uh, pull an unexpected performance out of the bag, out of nothing. And he almost almost achieved it today. You know, if he had a bit more luck with safety cars and stuff like that, we, he may have, like, they, Ralph or Romeo may have left with a decent haul of points. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, as I said, if it weren't for Sebastian Vettel, it probably would have been. Interestingly enough, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, the only driver in the field remaining that has uh, maintained the record of at least making one overtake on the opening lap of every single race. So he's still got that in his pocket. So um, well done to Gio. I mean, the Alfa Romeo lineup, a lot of news has been going around whether that's going to be the same or whether Mick Schumacher is going to be coming there or whether they're going to keep it. So much to discuss on that one. As I said, we'll talk about on Wednesday again. It's probably I have a click of the how many times I've plugged that episode on Wednesday. So I hope it's going to be, I know it's going to be good, guys. Don't worry. You can count on us to deliver on this one. Um, can't stress enough, but it is going to be a good episode uh, for us to talk about. Have a little Jim White transfer deadline day moment or something with silly season in Formula One. So uh, we'll have to try and make a theme of it um, in the coming years oh, in the future. <laughs> in the future, we'll have to make a theme of it, like a big build up to it. And uh, like most transfer deadline days in football, they always tend to disappoint with all the hype around them. But then there you go. You know, you reap what you sow with that one. But um, Haas, moving to them, a very, very difficult weekend for them. Didn't really have any pace in the car. Qualifying was difficult for them. Ended up finishing in 16th and 17th place. Magnus and Grosjean, two drivers that are leaving Haas at the end of the season. I suppose I can't imagine a scenario where either of them are going to end up in a Formula One seat next season, Courtney. I'd, um, I don't know how you feel on that subject with those guys. No, I, I think it'd be very difficult. You know, Roman Grosjean is already on his second chance, so I'd find it very difficult. And you've got the you've got the young Ferrari drivers pushing for those seats as well, so it'd be very difficult for either of them to uh, stay in Formula 1 next season. Absolutely. It's the strange enigma with Roman Grosjean because in the Lotus days in the early 2010s, on his day, he was a match for anybody. He was very, very quick, but he was always um, uh, he was always a bit overzealous with the way that he drove. You know, a bit risky, and quite often making costly mistakes, uh, quite dangerous ones as well. And you know, a driver of his experience and talent, he's always had those performances where he's been able to deliver good things, even in his Haas uh, days. But a move that really was motivated by the avenue or a potential route into a Ferrari seat. It never really looked like it was materialising. If anything, Ferrari always looked towards Alfa Romeo 
for their next young drivers and I don't really see that changing depending on what has to do next year I suppose the only thing that will be worth looking out for for them will be the Drive to Survive series where the episode comes out where we see the announcement where the both drivers are told possibly by Gumpfer and uh, I'm sure Gumpfer may you know despite being sad at the decision over you know the nature of it might be a lot less stressed out on a regular basis as he normally was when Magnussen and Grosjean had their moments quite often uh, against each other. So, um, but see, that's the yeah. thing, Adam. That's, that, that, that's, that's the problem with Haas as a team and that's why I feel this is a good decision that they've made. You can look through every single team, you know, over recent seasons and they have a positive story. I could, I could probably say every single team apart from Haas, Haas are only known for good to start going on going on mad ones and it, you know becoming viral and the incidents involving the two drivers that's all has to really known for i mean it makes great tv it. It, yeah. it, it does but for, for, <laughs> for, for, for a business for a business if all you're known for as a formula one team is known for your manager going viral going on a mad one it, it's, it's, it's not why gene has made that investment in the first place was it so no they do uh, need no. a fresh start they need they need to go for an experienced and fairly well-known name and one of the junior Ferrari drivers. And hopefully they'll have a, uh, a Charles Leclerc story because that's what you need. That's what you need. Pos- positivity. That's what you need in Formula One because that's, that's, that's what leads you on to winning, shall we say, relatively speaking, for the size of your team. So they needed it. It, it, it seemed to be a very negative team. Not a lot of good was coming out of it. So, you know, you want to see teams do well. So hopefully for them, for their, um, for their sake, next season could be the start of something good for them. Well, let's certainly hope so. I mean, we we love the drama. We love, you know, the, the sorts of things that come out of Formula One, those characters, as you mentioned, like Gumpfer, you know, some of the things that he said, some of his outbursts, you know, certainly one of the more popular team bosses and certainly a, a gentleman in the sport that is not one to be messed with and not one to mess around with. It's been a difficult time for us. And I, I agree with you. I can't remember the last time I've seen a driver pairing like Magnussen and Grosjean that clash as often as they do on the track. It's almost as if they're constantly fighting each other rather than fighting the opposition. And, you know, in a very good car, this can be a big problem, but even in their case where they're struggling to beat their opposition, it it still remains. And it's always been a very uh, conflicting partnership and whatever they do decide to do, whether they stay in formula one, whether they don't, hopefully, uh, they'll find. I'm sure they'll have plans in the works, but uh, wish them all the best. And uh, it's such a shame this comes to this, but unfortunately, that's the reality of the sport. Some people got to go to make room for new guys coming in. You know, you got to be quick. You have got to be reliable. Otherwise, you will find yourself without a seat in the sport. And I think that's as cliche as anything that you hear in the sport these days. And uh, rounding off the day for all the teams, it's uh, finishing off with Williams, George Russell, another impressive performance from George. Um, yeah. You know, qualifying, once again, Mr. Saturday, we often refer to George Russell as getting in Q2, beating Sebastian Vettel in Q2 as well, qualifying 14. So that's certainly no small feat. Even these days, beating a Ferrari is still a pretty good achievement for Russell in the Williams. But, you know, once again, I think it's hard for George Russell because um, he drove a pretty good race. And I've often said on this podcast that George doesn't always replicate his performances on Sunday uh, that he does on Saturday. And is that because the Williams is not that great a car in the race compared to qualifying over one lap? 
possibly. But it, it just shows that, you know, George is one of those drivers that doesn't really get much fortune going his way. If anything goes wrong, it tends to be on his lap. And uh, again, uh, we won't talk about his future too much, but I'm pretty sure that's got to be something on his mind. I mean, how do you see the George Russell situation, Corny? Um, we've been saying that he's been trying to get that first championship point, almost as if it's like a world championship to George. And for whatever reason, he just doesn't seem to get the rub of the green in his race. But uh, he had a good day today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, though, he's he's been he's been consistently great throughout the uh, throughout the season. Um, I'm just going to put it out there though that if we find ourselves in a situation next season where George Russell loses a seat and Nicholas Latifi keeps his seat because of the funding and and you know fair play to um, to Nicholas. It's his first season, but he hasn't really set the world alight, has he? Even in the Williams. And may, if he just yeah. stays because of the funding, if he, if he just stays because of the funding that he brings, that's the kind of story that leaves bad feeling within the fan base. So let's just let's just hope that George does have a seat because it, it would be it, it would be scandalous if, if he didn't. Yeah, I mean Nicholas, I think if he's done okay. I, I think if you were to judge his first season in Formula One so far, it's not been the easiest season to get used to, given what's been no. going on with COVID and everything else. And, you know, he was a very reliable performer in Formula 2. You know, he was runner-up last season. And, you know, through his performances, I can see there are moments in his ability. And, you know, his driving is good. Not as good as George's, that must be said. But uh, I, I don't think we expected Nicholas to be, um, you know, beating George on a regular basis. Um, but... I think where Williams are at the moment, I think their current lineup, they should be pretty happy with. The only problem is, I mean, you've mentioned this already with the money element with George Russell, is that with the new owners, Doralton Capital, they're going to be more money motivated. They're going to want to be bringing in as much revenue as they can because Williams did have money problems before with COVID and it did serve as a catalyst for that. We shouldn't forget that they need to make sure they're securing as much revenue as possible. So if an opportunity presents itself to bring in a driver that brings in more revenue to the team, you can bet your bottom dollar that that's what they're probably going to go with. So where that leaves someone like George Russell, I don't know. All I can say is that I hope that a route into one team, if Williams is not that team next year, despite having that contract for 2021, a, a route presents itself to him. But um, hopefully... We'll have to uh, wait and see how that, but hopefully it doesn't come to that. But as I said, we'll talk a bit more about that on Wednesday's episode. So um, final thoughts, Courtney, you know, coming back to the obvious before we wrap this up for this week, an incredible, incredible day for Formula One, an incredible, incredible day for Hamilton in particular, Lewis Hamilton achieving his 92nd Grand Prix win, which now makes him the outright all-time most successful race winner in Formula One. If uh, if I could ask one more question, Courtney, how would you sum up that achievement for Lewis? What does this achievement mean for the sport in general? And what does this mean for Lewis Hamilton in his career? I think that it's just, it shows that, you know, ceilings can be broken. You know, it's, uh, I don't want to go down the road of becoming all preachy, but it, it does you know, what What Lewis and Mercedes have achieved is simply incredible, not just in Formula One, but in a sporting sense to be that dominant for so long. It is simply incredible to keep a team as stable as they have for so long. Again, 
it doesn't happen much. They've got something, they have a culture in that team that I think that employers and companies should be looking at as a template going forward because they have some very happy employees there that want to stay there and want to continue to perform. So I think if there's any employers out there listening that might be struggling with their team a bit, I would say, look at how Mercedes are running that team and you might find yourself getting the better results from your employees and your company in general. Well, that would be a pretty good away day for a tour at any workplace. Um, of course, in, in a yeah. world that would allow us to do that, obviously not the COVID one at the moment, we have to wait and see, but you're absolutely right, Courtney. And, and before I've us this episode, I'm just going to name some names of a list that Lewis Hamilton has joined now. So you've got Giuseppe Ferrina, Juan Manuel Fangio, Alberto Ascari, Juan Manuel Fangio again, Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, Alain Prost, and Michael Schumacher, and now Lewis Hamilton. All of those drivers that I've just named were drivers that once held the most wins in F1 history, that particular record. And now Lewis Hamilton is above all of them as the latest to hold that record. Will anybody beat Lewis Hamilton's record? As we said with Michael Schumacher, it didn't seem plausible, but it's happened. How many more races will Lewis Hamilton get? Who knows? But let us know in the comment section as well, guys. How many more wins will Lewis Hamilton get in his career? How many more records will he get? Will he beat Schumacher's World Championship record? He's well on the way to equaling that at the end of this season, but we'll have to wait and see. But until then, make sure to give this episode a like. As we do stress, guys, on YouTube, likes really do help this episode out. And thank you to everybody who has watched us and liked these episodes so far and shared. And even if you've listened to the podcast on other podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, etc., thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So until then, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.